with couples in money, there's a lot of scenarios more often than not, where it's not a comfortable conversation, or they're not on the same page about money, and they don't know how to be and they need help with that conversation so that they can work on planning together. You're listening to the life and money show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Life and Money Show. I'm Annie Dickerson here with Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I am doing fantastic. I'm coming to you guys live, well, not live, but I guess pre-recorded from Los Angeles. Soaking up the sun. (laughs) I don't know, the vibe here. Oh, totally. I mean, it's 90 degrees. I mean, it's 90 degrees in mid-November and I don't know. I'm just loving the vibe here. You know, I grew up in the Bay Area and came down here over the years for various things, hanging out with friends or visiting family or whatnot. And yeah, never really thought about it as a place to maybe live. But yeah, just really feeling the vibe, loving the weather, loving the people, (laughs) The traffic. There's so much, so much to do there, though. Um, There's so many good you know, eateries. Smog, not yeah. so much, but so much to do yeah and just there's views depending on where you live and again the weather but so much fun stuff here in LA and it's still only an hour mm-hmm. away from the Bay Area by plane yeah so, I don't know. well like, I was just in LA too we sort of sure. missed yeah. each other or we were both there at the same time but I was there just That's very briefly right. for a, a wellness summit Gwyneth Paltrow's in Goop Health and it was so much fun but you're right being in that big city and having all those big city amenities and just feeling like you're in the center of it all is so much fun. Yeah. What did you learn at that event? Yeah. What was like one thing you took away? One thing I took away. Let me tell you about the day. Let me tell you about the experience. Okay. So first of all, I went with no kids, no husband. So (laughs) it was just me. It was like a little retreat by myself and didn't know anybody else who was going. Uh So totally open mind, just going in, not knowing. I had never been to one of these before, so I went in just completely open-minded, didn't know what to expect. And it is like, it's an experience. You get pampered the whole day. There's like fancy foods and drinks and things from the Goop kitchen and all their different products and whatnot. And then Mm. they had workshops on the love that you deserve, um, astrology, and like the radical acceptance of who you are, and creativity, and how to bring that into your daily life. There was a talk with a former monk, and the expert, I think his name is, I can't remember, I think it's Matthew Walker, about the science of sleep. And so it's really this well-rounded look at all the parts of wellness. And I think that's probably what I took away the most was that wellness is something that you're continually working on that everybody's working on and at different stages in your life you may have different things that you're focusing on or different issues that come up but know that you're in this together with all these other people everybody's on their own journey everybody's learning something different and so it was eye-opening to be exposed to all these different concepts that in mainstream you don't typically hear about but to be there with all these people who are also open-minded And learning about these concepts was just, it was so much fun. And this is Gwyneth Paltrow's yeah, company, right? That's right. And she was the there. Good thing or no? I was in the fourth row to see Gwyneth okay. Paltrow, and she was like a normal she person. She <laughs> so. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, and that's <laughs> well, probably the I other takeaway is that Gwyneth <laughs> is a normal person. <laughs> uh. There we go. There you go. That's what the whole weekend was about. Well, with that, (laughs) let's transition. Let's talk about our conversation today with Nicole Overcamp. She's a financial planner, retirement planning specialist, and founder and CEO of Wilcox Financial Group. And one thing that Nicole really specializes in is empowering women to take control of their financial futures and really examine their relationship with money. And in this conversation, she 
she talks about her journey where she didn't grow up with a lot of money, but she got into, she sort of fell into this financial planning space and she found herself one of four women amongst a hundred financial planners. And she talks about what that experience was like and how that really fostered her interest and her passion for helping women in this space. Yeah. It's interesting when I hear about women who somehow find their way to pull out a seat at the table and be like, I deserve a seat here and I'm going to sit here. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) Excuse me, a hundred other men. I'm going to sit here at this table and I deserve to have a seat here. And it's an interesting thing when I think a woman decides because once they decide, and I don't know if it's so much about deciding as it is like a personality trait, because as we dove into a lot of her childhood and how she was raised, I think it's just part of who she is and not necessarily that she made so much of a decision. But one thing that we talked about was what women want to do. And as we always talk about, we're always like, well, what do people want when we talk about this freedom of money or time or both or intentional living? And if people could do whatever they want, what is it that they would want to do with their time? And we had asked her that question because she works with all kinds of women. And we talked about that. And it's funny because we've been recording our podcast now for almost two years, which I can't even believe the two years have gone by so quickly. And it seems like most people, what they want is they want this freedom to be able to make an impact. They want the freedom from the tie of an obligation to make some kind of money to be able to make an impact on whatever they do. And so much of what we do also in our business and how real estate kind of set us free so that we could do and do things that we're passionate about and leverage our skill sets to make this impact. But that was what she said. And I thought it was really interesting because I think at the end of the day, people want to do good, but all too often we're too bogged down with the responsibilities of life and like work that everybody has this unique like superpower but those superpowers often aren't allowed to come out because we're so bogged down with trying to make a dollar and having kids and buying homes and all this crazy stuff so it was an interesting part of the conversation but yeah it's fun I love having women on the show where it's the three of us sitting around talking about money matters and so much of a conversation that needs to be more closed I think and so mm-hmm. hit fun. on something so key there around the impact piece. And as you know, that's such a big part of why we do what we do. And then you said real estate set us free. And that's it right there, right? Like we could have made an impact in lots of different ways, but we chose to help people invest in real estate because that's what set us free down this path where we could really maximize our impact. And so for any of our listeners out there, if you're also on that path, you're thinking about real estate or you're pursuing this path for passive investing, a great place to start is to get a copy of our book. It's called Investing for Good. And we have a free hardcover copy for all of you. I personally sign them and send them. I tape them. I mail them every week. And so... (laughs) Oh, yeah, we've got the boxes all lined up on our kitchen table. So but to get your free copy, just go to goodegginvestments.com slash book. Now with that, let's dive into our conversation with Nicole Overcamp. Nicole, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we are super excited to have you here. Now, Nicole, I know you created Wilcox Financial Group because you wanted to do something different than the other financial planners out there. And I know that you believe that wealth is more than just money. Mm, I love that. (laughs) And as you put it, wealth is a feeling. It's about being healthy happy and having what you feel you need. It's a state of abundance. And I couldn't agree with you more. So to kick off this conversation, start by telling us a little bit about your approach to wealth building and how you came to focus on what you do now, which is empowering women to own their futures and build wealth for themselves and their families. 
Yeah. So the reason I actually founded the firm, a big reason behind it was to get away from the very typical big sales financial institution where a lot of advisors are trained to just sling product and not necessarily do the advising part of it. And sometimes it's spun that way, but a lot of times that's really what's out there in the industry, unfortunately, and not all firms, but a lot of the bigger ones. And also where I was, there wasn't a lot of education done behind the actual how to get to the wealth building process. It was, you have wealth, now I want to sell you something or invest your money. And there were so many people afraid to go to these advisors or didn't think that they were ready to yet. And, and there's a big gap behind that. I think there's also the belief that if unless I have millions of dollars, I shouldn't be working with an advisor yet. And that's just not true. And so I, I first wanted to create space for that. But also where I was, I was one of me maybe four other women in a firm of 100. What was going on, not only in the industry and in very few female advisors, but the conversations that went on with their clients in the lack of communication to the wives, to the women and how they were communicating to them. And also how I was treated in some of the things that I experienced myself in my journey. I really wanted to create a space where women women could go and feel comfortable to get adequate information, education, and know that regardless of what stage they're in, that they can get advice in their best interest and also feel like they're not getting judged. And so that's really a lot of what we're all about in creating space where money doesn't need to be taboo and in building wealth is a process, but also understanding at its core, like what do you want out of your life and your lifestyle to be? And that's about becoming wealthy and and truly making those decisions. And with all of our clients, it's where are your goals? What do you want to achieve? And then let's build a wealth strategy around putting your money where your goals are first, and then truly spending what's left. Yeah, you mentioned something that I wanted to come back to, which is that money is taboo. Mm-hmm. And I think for so many people, they're intimidated by talking about money, asking people questions about money, guiding people through money decisions. Ah, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to touch that subject. And mm-hmm. so for you, tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming a financial planner and advisor. Was it something like as a kid, were you always like, oh, I love learning about how to make money, how to save money? Or how did that interest? develop? Well, part of it was on accident. I think it was a matter of where I was. But the other part of it is I knew when I was growing up, I had no money. Single family home. My mom raised us. She actually never worked more than part-time. And I knew that I just didn't want that. She did her best. She gave us everything we needed, but she always had to depend on someone else to do that, right? She had to depend on a, a boyfriend or whatever at the time to help provide that. And I think going through that and growing up in that way, and, and you know, we had no money, we were very low income, but I lived in a very upper middle class neighborhood. And so it was constantly in my face of what we didn't have or what wasn't going on and what all my friends were doing and, and what they had. And, and so I knew at a very young age that. I wanted to always be in control of me and I wanted the ability to get what I wanted without depending on someone else. And so I had that belief from early on. And so I've been working since I think maybe 11 and have been doing as much as I could ever since. And so when I did start working, it was important to me to start saving. And so I started saving when, as soon as I started working and When I was in my teens, I had a Roth IRA. And so that part of it, I didn't exactly know what I was doing, but I knew that I needed something else (laughs) set aside at at that point. And and I actually wanted to go to college to be a family court attorney. And going through those internships, I was so bored out of my mind. And I was working part-time for a financial advisor. And so it just so happened that I ended up doing a little career pivot by going through just real life practice and realizing, man, what, like if I can help people 
every single day, but do more of the business part of it, I think I'd be pretty happy. And I loved the change of pace and, and how that in this industry, you just there it's impossible to get bored and you're always helping people. And so I fell in love with the idea of that. And that's really where it started. I was working for him when I was 20, 21, got licensed when I was 22, and I've been doing it ever since. I'm curious, what job did you have when you were 11? I was, so there was this little program in our town called Amherst Youth Works. <laughs> and so they would give us all these odd jobs. You know, I would rake leaves, shovel driveways. I always was hustling. I uh, had a short stint babysitting. I mean, back then the rules were different, right? And so I was not very good at babysitting. That's not my thing. <laughs> I got fired from that job. After that, I was I started hostessing when I was 13. Actually, there was a local restaurant and he let me start a little bit before I was supposed to. And I worked there all through college. So yeah, I feel like you were doing the stuff that I was doing like in my 20s. Like I wish I was doing that in my <laughs> teens so that I wouldn't have wasted the 20s like trying to learn all this stuff that you were doing when you were 11 that I was probably doing when I was like 21. So that's so cool. I think it's having that insight. I feel like I grew up so similar to you. I lived in a pretty well-to-do neighborhood, I'm a single mom raising me on her own and always saw what I could have. It was always right in front of me. It was all right there. My friends and their big houses and had two parents in the home and mom would be at the school doing all that kind of stuff. And I was a latchkey kid and all that. But it's so interesting how that really shapes who you become and who you want to become and the drive that starts brewing inside of you at a very young age and the desire to not only want to learn how to help yourself, but also the desire to want to learn to help other people that might've been you way back when too. So that's so awesome. Yeah. You mentioned 100%. that you had a Roth IRA as a teenager. I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So how did you, okay. So you start working early instead of buying like, fancy shoes, fancy car, like what made you or what even opened your mind to this thing called a Roth IRA? A lady at the bank told me I should do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. So for that lady at the bank. I know. Yeah. Right? I, and like I said, I didn't know what I was doing, but I did the things back then. And the dumb money things yeah. did follow, believe me. But when I was waitressing, I was making a lot of extra cash and tips. And I was still living at home at the time, of course. And so I had extra money in my savings. And she's like, what, are, what do you plan to do with all of this? We should invest it. Of course, typical bank, right? <laughs> but I believed her and she was... Right. I mean, I don't know if maybe more money should have gone towards a car, but that's okay. <laughs> and so I did. I trusted her and I started a Roth IRA and I started it with a little bit of money, maybe a thousand dollars. And I just did like 50 bucks here, a hundred dollars there. And, and it grew, I mean, pretty nicely. And by the time I was actually a licensed advisor, I had a nice little retirement bucket started there. And I'm glad I did it because I got income phased out of it pretty quickly. And so now I have have that started and available and it'll be there later on. But looking back, one of the things that I didn't know what I was doing, but I was so glad I just took that leap of faith and in, in trusting someone that it was a good idea. Mm-hmm. Love that. So then fast forward, so you're working in the financial planning space and you mentioned you were one of four women out of a hundred. Tell us about what was that like? <sighs> crazy. So where I was, it it was a big organization and their whole shtick was to hire young kids, intimidate the crap out of them. And (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Yeah. Go sell, sell, sell and come back hungry. And so it was very like a hoorah, like bro mentality. And so in back then I had zero self-confidence, but I was very competitive. And so I showed up (laughs) and from day one, they weren't expecting me to make it. I I actually overheard one of my managers. I was always there after hours actually. So when I got licensed, I was finishing up my MBA and I couldn't afford the internet at the time. So I would stay late from eight to 11 o'clock at night studying using the free internet. And all the guys would go out after party, go to the strip clubs and and come back to clean up before they went home to their wives. 
And so I overheard a conversation, right? Like I overheard That's a conversation uh, about my manager at the time making a bet with the CEO of the organization. Like, how long do you think she's going to last? I bet you it's going to be three months. I give her six months. Like, and oh so God. I heard that in, in the background and I'm like, what? I just started. What gives? <laughs> so I made it a point to crush it no matter what, because if somebody tells me I can't, like, it's just my personality. And so it really gave me the fuel in my tank to, to dive in. But I was very much on an island there because it was also that constant double standard where I had to work twice as hard because I didn't have the network. I was young. I didn't have friends and family to call. It was a phone book. And I couldn't necessarily make a ton of friends with the other male advisors because it was the double standard. If I went out with them and made the connections to maybe get help or referrals from who they're working with, I was also automatically sleeping with them. So it was that whole devil's dance, just trying to fit in, but then also having to work really hard to prove myself. And so, so that's what I did. I started by cold calling and I just worked my butt off. And I tried to absorb the things to me that made sense. I looked at the most successful guys in the firm and, and I tried to do what they did. And so, and it worked out. I did very well for the few years that I was there. And and then I hit a wall the more I learned about the industry and what else was out there and what was available and realizing, man, like I can actually do a better job and do more of the right thing and not feel like I'm going to die every day. <laughs> so, and just realize when I had that realization, I knew it was time to do the thing and, and make a change before I, I couldn't make the change before it was in too deep, so to speak. Right. So. Yeah. What a journey. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm the same. Julie's the same way too, where if somebody tells us we can't, we're like, oh yeah, you want to bet? Okay. Watch me. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And yeah, yeah, that seems to be the through line in your story is this perseverance and this grit and just going after it and knowing what you want and going after it. Okay. So you're working as a financial advisor. And so who are the clients who are coming to you? Or I guess you were cold calling and finding people, but who were the people you were working with? Were these people who had already built wealth and you were helping them to build more or were they on the up and up and trying to get started? Tell us a little bit about them. So they were all over the place, actually. And so it was, I had some younger clients who really just needed help saving and learning how to manage cash flow. And then I did have some other clients who were nearing retirement, needed that retirement plan and, and had assets to actually manage. And so it was pretty diverse. And how I ended up building my business is I started doing a lot of 401k plans and managing qualified plans and partnering with a 401k representative at a payroll company. And what I I would do is I would go in and do lunch and learns for all of the participants of the 401k plan. And so that's how I actually grew a lot of my clientele pretty quickly because I was putting myself in a pool of people ready to learn about money and finance. And But that's also why in the beginning there, the clients that I did have were so diverse because it was whatever the demographics were of those companies that I was working in. It gave me a, such a good bandwidth of all of those different scenarios where I wasn't hyper-focused on one specific niche or just one age group. And so it really forced me to level up in a lot of ways as well and constantly know so much about what is important for a younger family and tax things to be aware of and planning and education all the way up through retirement and being well-versed in in healthcare and social security and everything else that goes on at, at that stage in life. So now that you've worked with all these clients at different stages of their lives, what are some of the common pitfalls that you see that people stumble across where they're like, oh, I didn't even think about that, or I didn't even know that that existed. What are some of those common patterns that you see? I think the most common pattern that I see in everyone, regardless of their occupation, their net worth, what they're doing is knowing how much money they're spending. (laughs) That one I see all the time. And and it's the number one error that I see as well in retirement planning is too many assumptions are made. But then some other things actually are not so much on on the technical side, because there's always the one like, oh, I didn't know what I didn't know. But it's more so communication a lot of the, the time. So with couples in money, there's a lot of scenarios more often than not, where it's not a comfortable conversation or they're not on the same page about money and they don't know how to be. 
and they need help with that conversation so that they can work on planning together or getting to a better spot in their marriage because a big issue in many marriages, whether it's talked about or not. And so that's another common thread that I see often and really try to close the gap on to help on that. And so those two things are probably what I see most common. And then everything else is is truly all over the board, depending on who we're working with. I'm curious, how do you help couples that, is it like therapy? Like they come to you like for a Zoom session and they sit down and like, Nicole, my husband says this and then mm-hmm. husband talks and then you go and you kind of play mediator or how? Because it's such a hard place to interject into that conversation because sometimes it can be emotionally charged, right? Because yeah. people get like that about money. I mean, especially with somebody that you're very close with, your partner, your spouse. And so how do you navigate those waters in terms of coaching or advising clients that are in the couple's situation that don't agree? It is interesting. It's funny. I use my psychology degree more than I probably ever thought I would, but a (laughs) great degree of coaching goes into it truly in getting them on the same page and having the transparency. And, And you know, at the end of the day, when you've got that neutral third party where both people are comfortable talking to, it's easier because when I give advice or talk about things, they're more receptive to it. And I'm able to take the emotion out of it as well because I don't have to go home and sleep with it. Right. So that part of it makes it so much easier, but there's certain Certainly are those meetings where a spouse will say something or answer a question that I ask, and the other spouse will be like, wait a minute, I didn't know that, or I don't want kids. You want kids? And it's like, oh shit. <laughs> you have to work through all of that. And it gets uncomfortable. I've definitely sweated some bullets. I think a lot of the time what I try to help with as well is giving each spouse, if they're not in the meeting together, questions to start. So, or how to communicate with their partner because A lot of it is how you're asking the question versus telling them what's going to happen, right? And making it more collaborative, even if you know where you want to steer the ship sometimes and opening that up. And it's so funny. I talk to Sarah, my partner all the time. We can call whether or not someone's going to get divorced and our accuracy rating is like, through the roof when so we meet funny. clients for the first time because it's like I should come see you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever there's a spouse who won't show up or won't talk about money or get on the same page or doesn't want to do a financial plan, like the time is ticking, right? Ticking. 100% of the time. And, and so it it's really is important. I, I can't stress it enough for couples. And even if it's uncomfortable, like it's so much less uncomfortable than getting divorced. So, yeah, it seems to be kind of like the running theme when we talk about this issue on the podcast between couples. It's come up before on other episodes, and it always boils down to the communication mm-hmm. and how good or bad the communication is, and the style of communication and the way you're presenting the topic or whatever it is that you guys are talking about. And so, it's really interesting. I'm curious, when we think about empowering women and couples, and I'm sure men too along the way, to own their financial future, what does that mean to you when you say to own or for someone to own their financial future? What does that mean? For us, it's about getting them to start thinking intentionally about what it is they're doing with their money and their time and setting themselves up to achieve the life that they do actually want to live. And it sounds simple in theory, but it's really quite difficult because so many of us go through the motions. We get really busy with life and we say that one toxic phrase, I'm fine. (laughs) I'll deal with it later. And financial planning is one of those things that we all know in our head is important, but it's also that same thing that we say, not now right? Because it also doesn't sound super appealing, super fun. And it is usually a little bit like overwhelming or can provoke some anxiety so that procrastination sets in. And so the ability to own your financial future is truly deciding in the moment to take ownership of that and take action on figuring out what are your goals? What do you actually want to achieve? Who are you becoming and what do you want to do? And then figuring out who is going to help me get there, right? What is it? that I need to do and who's going to help me close that gap. And that's the whole process of reverse engineering in financial planning in itself, right? I always say it's the process of figuring out how to get what you want, right? And then taking ownership in that because success is such a relative term. 
it's different to everybody and, and what that means to you as an individual. And so once you know that, once you know your why and what you're capable of achieving, I think we're all shocked as hell when we realize what we can actually achieve if we try. It gets so much more empowering. When you see what you're able to accomplish, you're actually empowered to follow a plan. You're empowered to spend your money differently. You're empowered to save because you know what you're achieving versus often we just go through the motions. We're flying blind. We're saving into our 401k. We're putting money into our savings account and we're spending because nothing feels broken, but we also don't know what we're missing out on. And so, so much of what we want to talk about and try to get across to women and couples and people in general, of course, is just pause a minute and like ask yourself, are you really living the life that you're capable of? And if not, let's figure it out. We'll get back to our conversation with Nicole in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now, back to our chat with Nicole Overcamp. I'm curious, Annie and I talk about this, about what do people really want? And do people know? And we feel like a lot of people don't really know, right? We talk about living this life by design and like this idea of passive income to live the life that you want. But I think oftentimes people don't even know what the life they want is because they're so used to, like you said, going through the motions, going to school, buying the house, getting the job, climbing the ladder, going through retirement, having kids and all of that. So from your experience, I'm curious because there may be people who who are listening and who are like, yeah, that's me. I don't know. I don't know what I want. Like, what do other people want? Like, give us some insight. Like, I'm curious, what are other people saying that they want? I think a lot of times what we've found on this podcast is a lot of people get to a point of financial freedom and it's not about going and sitting on a beach and like sipping margaritas and doing nothing with themselves. It always seems to come back to impact. And yes. how can I make yes. an impact? And like, <laughs> have meaning? How can I leverage my skills and the things that I yes. do to be able to give meaning to not only my life, but other people around me? But anyway, you nailed it with impact. And of course, most of our clients are women. And so the, the biggest thing that they want is freedom of time, but not to go sit on a beach all day, but to choose what they're doing and to work for a bigger cause or an organization or a non profit and feel more fulfilled in what they're doing versus feeling like they have to work for a paycheck. And so a lot of the clients that we work with want to know the number of how much do I have to make or what do I need to achieve so that I don't have to do this, but I can do X, right? The freedom to have that ability to pivot and then shift into a career where they can make 30K a year and it just doesn't matter because they're already set in all of 
the other buckets are filled. And so that is truly what a lot of people are seeking is that fulfillment piece, the ability to make an impact and have the freedom to choose what you're doing, when you're doing it, who you're doing it with. And I think many of us do feel backed into a corner a little bit of having to do something versus getting to do something. And then I think too, as a society, you guys might agree is that many people just do what they think they should do versus asking what they want to do. And that starts that whole race, right? Or the hamster wheel rather of getting into that routine. And to your point, Julie, some people just don't know because they've just been doing what they thought they should and stopping and saying, well, maybe like my life isn't living in a big house. Maybe it's not having these things. I'd be so much happier retiring 10 years earlier and living in an apartment and doing whatever the F I want for the next 30 years. And so it's really looking at that too and saying, am I willing to accept the things that I want and move forward without fear of judgment and be willing to commit to that too? I feel like this is a conversation, you guys, that needs to be had in the classroom, like starting at like fifth grade. So that kids are starting to like think about this, not thinking about it at like when they're graduating from high school or graduating from college, which is most of the time where people are starting to learn and ask these kinds of questions, but really starting to take it back like to when they're really young so that they can start to think about this kind of stuff and learn about, ask themselves these types of questions so that by the time 10 years down the road, they've already thought about this. Like this is already a question that they've already asked themselves and been asking themselves and are well prepared to be an adult and kind of be on their way. I'm curious, kind of along the same lines as what you hear from other people in terms of what they want, kind of on the same lines, what do you feel like is the most important thing for people who have young children to be thinking about at that stage in their life? We talked about you've met people at really early stages all the way through to retirement. What about folks? Because a lot of our listeners are just like Annie and I who have young kids and they're trying to figure out how to save for college or grow their wealth or ultimately retire one day. What are some of those things that they should be thinking about right now that they might not be thinking about? I think the first is going back to that ultimate question of what do I want? What do I want? And then am I doing all the things to get me there? And so for example, if I want to make sure that I can pay for my child's college education, am I aware of how much tuition will cost at that time? And have I looked at it? Have I looked at the math in terms of the future costs and what I have to save to get there is saving 65k and investing it enough to get me 150 depending on your timeline and really thinking about those types of things, or it is something like generational wealth important, but it sounds overwhelming to you right now. Well, if it is important, those are conversations you want to have in your 30s because the planning starts now. And it's so wild because I was just having a conversation with a client of mine and I brought that up to him and we both started laughing because he's like, aren't we too young for that? And I'm like, we're not in our 20s anymore. I know we feel like we're 26 still, but like, Now is the time to start because it takes so much time to get there, right? And plan for it and the time value of money. And so it's asking yourself what that bigger picture is, but then day to day, are you truly fulfilling that, right? Are you acting in alignment with what you want to achieve and mapping out out that plan for yourself? So that's the biggest thing is a lot of times we say we want to do these things, but we don't take the action required to make them happen. And so with families, when you have young kids, it's hard to take that time. And I know a lot of moms feel guilty for doing it. And at the end of the day, if you take the time to either do it yourself or work with an advisor who can help you figure that out, your kids will be in a much better position anyways down the road, but it's not feeling the guilt for thinking that, oh, it's a selfish thing and really just getting started, I think, and asking those questions and knowing what you can be doing every single day, because that matters much more than what you do once in a while toward building all of the things that you want. And it truly is, it has to start, especially nowadays when you're younger. Yeah. I think it's got to find the time, you know, put in the time, even if it's an hour or two a week, 
Put in the time to learn, ask the questions, surround yourself with other people who are asking the same questions so that you can get involved. Even if you don't start making moves, at least start you know, doing things to ask yeah. the necessary questions that you need to be asking right now. And I think as women, as moms, like you said, we're so busy and we're thinking that's the last thing I want to do. Right. Talk about money. <laughs> I don't want to talk about money. I got hungry kids in front of me, right. right? But if you have that conversation now and you start thinking about it now, it's not only going to benefit your kids down the road, but it's also going to benefit you because you're not going to be worried about them because you already had that covered from yeah. 18 years ago or whatever. So I think it's also about taking that time, even if it's a little bit. I always hear so many moms struggling and I do as well with time. But if you can find that time, I think even if it's half an hour, an hour every week, yeah. that that's so impactful. So I guess one of the last things for me that I'm just curious about is when you think about any advice that you might want to give to women to really empower them to take that time, whether they're a young woman in their 20s or they're a young mother and they've had yeah. have a couple of kids. What is some advice that you might leave our listeners with in terms of let's empower them? Because yeah. that's so much of what Annie and I are about is empowering women and helping them to take the steps that they need to get over mm -hmm. the finish line, to make an investment and to start to realize the change yeah. that investments can make in their life, what would your advice be there? I think my biggest advice, and I don't know, this might not be what, what you were looking for, but is to stop making excuses and using the phrase, I'm busy. I think it is a default phrase that we all say when we don't feel like doing something. And mm -hmm. I'm busy is so much BS a lot of the time. And so what I would challenge the listeners is to say is to replace I'm busy with it's not a priority. And if it's not a priority, that's okay. But if you say planning for my future is not a priority, making sure my kids are taken care of is not a priority, it feels a lot different. And I promise you, you can find the pockets of time because it's not an extraordinary amount of time. It's an hour or two to have to go through everything, right? For the rest of your life, I promise you, you have the time. How much time did you spend on Netflix last week, right? So that's the advice that I would give actually is to really own what it is that you want and to truly take action on it. Because I think a lot of times our default is to not do what feels uncomfortable. I think another big thing too is that women don't feel like talking about money is the place for them. And so I love that we are three women sitting here talking about this conversation that so many women need to have that I think they're afraid to have. And it's so true because if you prioritize your time, you're going to get there. And it's just about making things a priority no matter how busy you are. So I love Absolutely. that. All right. Well, we're going to move into the Life and Money Show Spotlight Round. We're going to ask you a couple of questions around life and money. So the first question is around your life and money. What is one thing that you're doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design? Well, one thing that I am doing right now that is more recent, but I've established some really amazing boundaries and I am doing things with a lot more intention. I am getting comfortable with saying no and making sure that when I'm with the people I love, I'm with them. I'm not distracted. I don't have work on my mind. I'm not waiting to leave. And so for me, that has been so impactful to know that when I'm going to dinner, I am present. I am there. I am spending time with the people I love. And then when I am at work, I am 100% focused and committed as well. And that separation has been, for me, I'm a slow learner, a milestone. <laughs> How do you do that? Like, I've learned that, like, okay, you can separate, you could take the phone and you could turn it off. And yeah. I don't know if you can see it, but you could take the phone, turn it off, put it away. And you're disconnected physically from work. Yeah. But how do you do the disconnect, like, up here? The part where you're sitting there, like, watching a movie with your kids 
and they're all laughing and they're like, oh, that's so funny. And you're sitting there like, oh, shoot, I forgot to tell somebody on my team to do that one thing. And you're like, let me just go grab my phone and like message them or whatever. Like, how do you like disconnect mentally and emotionally from wanting to be there so that you can be present? Because I think that's such a challenge. <laughs> yeah, it is. You're 100% right, especially in the everyday. And so for me, I do it in pockets of time. And so Throughout the week, if I am after work and sitting on the couch with my husband and he's watching TV, I am still working, but I am with him. But when I go away for a weekend or out to dinner, for me to remove that, actually, I physically can't be around technology. And I also am intentional about where we go. So if it's a weekend with the girls, we'll go hiking in the mountains because you can't do anything else. It's like the best way to just reset your mind and know that nothing else can reach you anyways. You immediately like drop that barrier. When my husband and I go on vacation, we go to other countries or other areas where I can't easily access my cell phone or or computer. And and I've trained myself and it's gotten easier now to stay local and and I can do it. Truly, I leave my phone in the car and we set rules. And he's so funny. Like he'll literally take my phone from like I'm a child. I have 20 minutes in the morning and then like 20 minutes at night. And that's it just to check for like, make sure that nothing happened. But knowing that I can't because he will take it away makes it so much easier for my mind to just release. And I found that that when I did, it was scary to do it at first. And probably for some of you Uh listening who are crazy type A people like we are, it sounds like you're taking a long away. But what I've learned is that when you do that, I came back with so much more energy and so much more ambition. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever hit that point where you are just staring at your computer and you're like, I know I should be working right now, but I'm not because I'm just exhausted. And so it's made that those times a lot less because I'm giving myself the permission and the space to unplug for a minute and not because the distractions are exhausting. Like they're draining, even if you are sitting on a couch, like sending an email or whatever. And so giving your brain that ability to shut off for a little bit and then turn back on. I found that I've been more productive and and with the, um, of course, I like analyze this since I was more productive, it made it easier (laughs) to keep doing it right. And to make sure that I'm, I'm definitely making those pockets and and throughout the week, at least I I have like non-negotiable workout times and stuff where I'm making sure that I'm, I'm truly removed from anything and just taking that time for me or with somebody else if I choose that. Right. Yeah. 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 I think the the piece for me that you said that's so hard for me is the giving yourself permission. Yeah. And it's so funny because even just hearing you say this, like, this is how I do it. And this is what I do in this weird way. It's almost like you're giving me permission because I'm like, wow, she's, she's doing it and she's, Mm -hmm. it's okay. And things aren't falling apart. And so it's just funny because I think for me, it's in large part that giving yourself the permission to do it um, is, is the big piece of it. But I've been in a couple of places over the last five or six months without uh, access to internet. I've had major anxiety. It was Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily voluntary. I didn't realize I wasn't going to have access. And that's when. It's wild. I know. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but permission granted, you will survive. I promise. Yes. And women need that with money totally. too. It's, it's like the permission yeah. I give women all the time, like permission. You can tell your child, no, it's okay. They'll be fine. Yeah. You know, you yeah. don't have to spend money on that. You can tell your friends, no, or whatever. Like we sometimes yeah. just need someone to tell us what to do because we yeah. question ourselves so much because mm-hmm. we're always getting questioned. Right. Right. So sometimes it's nice to just have that ability to know like, okay, I'm not crazy for thinking this. It's okay. Yeah. Right. Awesome. I love it. All right. Second question is around others, life and money. So what is one life or money hack that you can share right now that will make an impact in others' lives right now? I think the simplest thing that I can share that I've been doing forever is automating savings. So automate your savings, set up a systematic savings into your 401k, other investment accounts. And then if you know you're doing that, you can spend what's left and you don't have to worry about anything, right? It makes your life so much easier. And then you're hitting your targets at the same time. 
Yeah, I know some people in some of our investors, one thing that they do is they take some money, a bucket of money, and they invest it in a bunch of deals. And then they have the money, the distributions that come back from those deals just dump right back into that same bank account. And then as that bank account fills up, they dump that and redeploy it into new deals. And every time there's a big capital event and so on and so forth, and that becomes their savings, so to speak. It's a great um, strategy. Yeah. All right. Last question is around life and money in the world. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place? Well, I hope I'm doing a lot to make the world a better place. I really am super passionate about, I call it this money movement, but to make money come and speak with women and to make it not be something uncomfortable or something they have to feel shame around. And so with our money bitch community that we have, our online community that we're building up with the book and all of the speaking that I do truly to try to build more awareness around the importance of planning, but getting women comfortable with it and and I sit on a couple of boards as well and serve for them. One of them that I'm super passionate about is the Girl Scouts. And in that in itself is teaching young girls to be confident, to have leadership skills. And they learn how to manage money with their cookie sales and business skills and all of that. And to me, that's just like the coolest thing because if we're not teaching our girls how to feel confident, how to be a leader and manage money, like why are we doing this? It starts there. It starts with the girls and of course works its way up and especially women too. I think the older women actually need it more. I think the younger generations caught on quicker than we did. <laughs> They're okay. But a lot of the older women too just need that permission. They need that confidence in coaching and in knowing that they're worthy. And so I, I try to give back as much as I can in that capacity. And to me, if I, I always ask myself at the end of the day, who did I help today? Who did I maybe make a positive impact on? And if I don't feel like I did something is a big enough measure, I'll always try to do one small thing before I go to bed. Even if it's just send somebody a Facebook message and say, you look really beautiful today. Like something little like that. It sounds really silly, but I think when we're all bombarded by life, I think those little measures, if you can't do something big, can make such an impact over time. It's the compounding effect of yes, all those little yes. things, right? Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, you're taking me back to Girl Scouts selling cookies door to door. But yeah, you're so right. It look you, you are. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> Were you a Girl Scout, Julie? No, no, missed that train. I, I only was for a little bit, actually, before okay. we moved yeah. from New Jersey to Tennessee. I was a Girl Scout for a little bit in New Jersey and long enough to do the cookie sales. That was like yeah. the only okay. thing I got to do with the Girl Scouts. I didn't get to do <laughs> the trips and everything else, but the cookie sales, it was a great micro lesson on how to run a business, right? Yes. Because mm-hmm. like you're saying, right, we had to set a goal. We had incentives on the other end. We had the network of other Girl Scouts and our troop leader, and we had these proven strategies that others had taught us. And But then we had to hustle, right? We had to go yeah. out and hustle, and then we had to figure out marketing and messaging and sales and all that stuff. So it was like a microcosm of building a business, but so glad you Love brought it. that up. Yeah. Well, Nicole, I know you're doing so many different things and doing so much to empower women and couples as it relates to money and building wealth. So I'm sure our listeners are going to want to follow up with you and learn more. So tell them what's the best place that they can go. Best place that they can go is to our Instagram. We have access in our bio there to everything that we're doing and all of the different links from our websites, events that we're hosting and our book. And so I would encourage everybody to go to our Instagram at powherhousemoney and follow us there. Love it. Nicole Overcamp, financial planner, retirement planning specialist and founder and CEO of Wilcox Financial Group. Nicole, thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom with us and our listeners today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of the show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations. 